The content of this podcast, Swingin' It, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed is not intended for investment advice nor a recommendation. Investing in any stock, security, bond, ETF, option contracts, or futures has substantial risk of loss. Chris McBride and John Burrell are not certified financial or investment advisors, nor are they registered brokers. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that neither Chris McBride or John Burrell will be held responsible for any loss that you may occur from acting on the topic or discussion in this podcast. These topics are not meant for recommendation. Chris McBride and John Burrell may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. going on and welcome back to another edition of the just swinging it podcast we're back john's back fresh fresh off the covid fresh off the hour list yeah fresh off the hour list um we tried to get him to do a jordan flu game last week but he declined i guess he ain't got the gumption yeah my voice was a little um a little off and i was coughing a bunch so I, i actually felt fine but the amount of coughing that I was doing just wasn't acceptable. It's okay. We had the stock parrot on. If you haven't listened to the last episode, um, it's probably one of our better shows that we've we've ever done, really. Um, so be sure to check that out. Um, I'm Chris McBride. I'm joined by Fat Baby Funds as per normal. And um, we don't have a guest tonight. It's just, it's just us. You'll just have to deal with it. Um, but... I'm sure we'll have a good show. We're going to learn something from Fat Baby. We haven't had a lesson in a while, so everyone probably needs that after the holidays and and that sort of thing. Um, but, yep, welcome back. And um, y'all got anything to say in the intro? Oh, it's just great to be here and uh, happy everyone's listening. It's pretty interesting. A uh, couple trading days here to start the week off, so – um look forward to talking about what's going on in the markets and all the news and things that's coming up here so and if anyone mentions sports i will mute them we're not talking about sports you're not talking about sports we're not talking about sports sports are dead <laughs> it's off the discussion list tonight sports are dead for at least a week um but i guess let's get started fat baby funds um go ahead and teach us something about finance i guess yeah so one thing i wanted to talk about and it's just a, a pet peeve of mine overall in, in finances. Uh, there's a thing called stock-based compensation, share-based compensation um, that a lot of companies like to use. And it can really throw off financials. And the way it does is all these companies like to report something that's called adjusted EBITDA. And we talked about EBITDA in the and what rolls all up into it. But adjusted EBITDA, it can really throw off the financials and it can be a little misleading how profitable a company really is. And the reason it's misleading is primarily um, stock-based compensation. So what that is, is where 
companies are paying their employees in stocks. And since stock isn't a cash-based expense, a lot of companies claim it in their adjusted EBITDA as an adjustment to show that, that they're actually more profitable than the way they are. Um, but in reality, what they're doing is that stock is part of that employee's compensation. Um, that employee is getting compensated in stock on top of their normal salary. And so it really is a legitimate expense. So it, accounting wise, it does hit um, net income, everything like that. Um, they call it adjusted EBITDA because they're not following accounting rules. So it's this made up thing a lot of companies like to do to, to make their profitability look higher. So whenever you hear a company touting adjusted EBITDA, anything like that, you always got to look into what those adjustments are. And the main one is going to be stock-based compensation for a lot of them, but you got to watch out for other ones. There's other shady things going on there. So really the idea of this segment is just to, warn people to watch out a lot of companies claim to be profitable but really they're nowhere close to profitable pro profitable and even though stock-based compensation isn't really a cash expense um share buybacks are a cash expense and they're essentially they're the same thing um it, one offsets the other stock-based compensation is them giving away a share um share buybacks or them buying back a share. So if one's a cash expense and the other one isn't, I think they're both expenses. So the idea here is just really to watch what's in those adjustments. And when a company comes out and talks about its earnings, really dive in if they're touting their adjusted earnings, because we have these accounting rules for a reason and it's to avoid stuff like this. So it's a pet peeve of mine. Every company does it, but it is what it is. Yeah. So. That's one thing to look out for because, again, like you said, that's not going to show up, you know, on the PE ratio. It's going to, you know, it's going to inflate that a little bit. I guess one question I have based on kind of that, your last comment about, you know, buybacks are an expense and, um, you know, them giving, giving the shares away aren't an expense. Is there anything, you know, is there any, I, I guess the, the thing is you can't, um, all you could you could never predict a buyback just because you know a company's paying employees or executive and shares that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have a buyback at some point so you probably wouldn't be able to place a number on it but say they, if they both were an expense you know wouldn't that kind of be double counting as well yeah uh, but i mean it, they sort of hit in a different spot so share buybacks don't hit net income they hit um in a different portion on on the PL overall so they're not going to hit your normal profit and loss they're going to hit a different section so it's not double counting in that sense um but a lot of companies do do that where they pay their employees in stocks because there are tax benefits to paying employees in stocks um i i'm definitely a proponent that companies should do it it's it's a loophole essentially that people should take advantage of. Um, but the offset to that is as you start to create more and more of these, uh, you have to do it between share offerings, which dilutes the, the current shareholders. So if you're paying in stocks and you're not doing a buyback, you're diluting your current shareholders, which isn't a great thing to do overall either. So it's definitely, it's definitely tough to watch overall, but the idea is really just watch the adjustments. Um, if someone's touting stock-based compensation as a non, 
cash expense. It's there's a reason accounting counts it as an expense, and that that's because it's a very valid expense, and it's it's how people get paid. I guess um, so. That's from the investing standpoint, from the company standpoint. I guess the other point of it, um, you know, if your company were to offer, you know, you something like that, depending on the scenario, that could be a benefit. I would say to to the employee, right? So, say you're you're working for a company, and you know, you want X number of dollars pay per year, and they're like, well, we can't we can't do that, but we can give you this and and this amount of shares, or they may give you the option or whatever, you know, if you work for a company and you, you know, you're in there day to day and, you know, you feel good about the trajectory or whatever the company that, that could be a loophole for the employee to actually make, you know, more money um, down the line, because if it's, you know, as that stock goes up, you're actually making more money, um, you know, kind of. As appreciation as well. Yeah. That's what I'm talking. And that, it's kind of like um, in the NFL this year, there's a couple of players uh, who took back in, you know, maybe two Aprils ago, not, not this past April, but April before. I know that there was a Carolina Panther player who took like most of his pay and in Bitcoin. Bitcoin yeah. And Bitcoin was like maybe $10,000 or something at the time. And even though it's tanked recently, I mean, he went it's from 40 now he went, or so. Yeah, he went from getting offensive line pay to quarterback pay. Um, just by because how he took like his that. pay, yeah, and it, it's kind of a similar situation, yeah. And I mean, the other thing is it, it aligns the skin in the game with the company you're working for. So then, when the company is successful, you're successful. So, I'm pro stock based compensation overall. Um, but the problem is that people just get a little too creative on the accounting end, which you know that that causes problems when your accountants are getting a little creative. Yeah, and I would think that sometimes that, you know, but from an investor standpoint, also, you know, if if you find out, you know, say X company hires a new executive and say they took, you know, a huge percentage in, in stock pay over actual payments, as to, to me, I would feel pretty good about that. That means they they feel good about where the company's headed or have faith in they have faith in that company. It, it would be hard as an investor to put my money in a company where the people leading the company also doesn't have faith. For an example of that, when Penn bought into Barstool or whatever, Dave asked for most of the money in Penn stock, not in, in cash because it, you know, he had faith that that was going to go up. So I don't know. That's something to look at as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's good. It's good. Overall, you want that skin in the game but you just don't want them to pretend it's not an expense because yeah. those those people are getting paid and you got to factor that in. Yeah, you don't want to be um, thinking they're making more money than they are. John, did you have a question? It looked like you had a comment. Um, no, not a question. It, it's definitely interesting and something to look out for when making your projection of what a company is worth or could be worth. So, uh, yeah, that's something that I feel like a lot of people probably – uh, don't know or that's aware of um i think you guys summed up um any question i had um fat baby do you know any examples um right off the top of your head of you know maybe some major companies you know who pay their executives in in stock for the most part like you said all, all the companies do it but do you have any on the top of your head that's you know gets a substantial amount of their income in stock so I should have pulled it up before because it's a crazy example, but do you guys know the company Snowflake? 
Um, yeah. yeah. So I believe and doing this off the top of my head. So people are going to yell at me if I'm wrong. Um, but I believe their stock-based compensation was higher than their sales. Um, and it's not their fault. It's not the company's fault. It's their stock went crazy at the right amount of time. So they offered their CEO and their CFO and their CTO and everybody X shares. And they thought they were going to be worth $5 a share. Then they went up to $140 a share. So then all of a sudden you're paying your executives more than you make in sales. So it's, it, there's crazy examples like that. But that's one off the top of my head. So are you, are you saying they offered an, an X number of shares per year to their executives? Yeah, that's how most of them do. Because you don't so, see that sound. That sounds crazy to me. It sounds like they should, you know, if, if I was a company, it, it'd be like I can't pay you this in cash because you know that's gonna, you know, it's gonna go onto our um, our financial sheets. But I can pay you X amount of dollars in stock and do that rather than do a number. When you do the number, it, you could get way overextended, like the yeah. example you gave. Yeah, so most of them are in the, the numbers. So that's where it can be. If you work at one of these companies, it's great. If you work at a company that's tanking, it's terrible. Um, but that's where it can be a little interesting to see that overall. But yeah, no, most of the times it's an offer of X many shares um, that are valued at this price. But then all of a sudden, if the stock starts to skyrocket, they're getting rich. Okay, what about, um, so this, here's another thing I don't know. Um, so that they're paying their employees X number of shares per year and however many employees they're doing that for. Um, are they creating new shares to do that? Or are they, is some, you know, somebody else giving up shares to, to give employees? Because at some point it's out, you know, there's only X number of shares unless you create more, right? Yeah, so uh, generally most companies are doing share offerings. Some companies are doing share buybacks as well to offset it. Um, but most companies are just, it's inflation. They're diluting the overall shareholder value. Yeah, so that's another thing to keep in mind, you know, as companies do this, the, the stock you own are now kind of worth less, technically, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely true. You own less of a business, even though you own the same amount that you bought. Yeah, and for, you know, traders, that, that's not going to matter to you any really. Uh, but and for investors, you know, I, I think it depends on your scenario. Because if it's still worth the same amount of money, then some people's not going to pay attention to it. But like you said, technically, you now own less of the business, so you have less of that asset. Yeah. All right, John, you got anything else? As 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 far as on that on that subject, yeah, no. All right. Um, well, with that, we'll go into the market. It's been crazy. Um, you know, the last few weeks, um, a lot of down. Um, yeah, for sure. But um, John, you want to go ahead and take us through that? Uh, yeah. So let's see if this. Um, see if I can pull this up here. Can you see that? Yep. Okay, yeah, so we've had some uh, pretty crazy movements the last couple of days. Uh, I guess to start with, uh, yesterday the market had sold off, um, you know, a pretty crazy amount. What was it, like almost 2% on the S&P 500? 
let's see, let's, let's just go to that chart in particular here and um, let's go to, let's do the 15 minute and let's do the last week. So, yeah, so we had a pretty significant sell-off in um, S&P 500 um, to begin the week, and then it rebounded, and we ended up by the end of the day, which was just insane. And then today, we had another sell-off of, of about a half of a percent, and then we end up rallying, rallying into the close. A um, bunch of green bars going into the close on the S&P 500. Uh, what you guys' thoughts on the, it's almost like whiplash in the market here uh, to start this week. I haven't paid too much uh, attention um, to it. I know it's been been up and down, but I haven't been making, you know, any moves. So, you know, I haven't really looked too, too much. I'm, we're at the beginning of the year, this coronavirus thing. You know, the fear in that starting back up for whatever reason. I understand this new variant's more contagious, I guess, but I you know it's, it seems to be less, um, you know, less deadly. You, you get a mild sickness and then you're, you're good. The CDC is pulling their, their guidelines and stuff down, but I, I assume that um, variant is having a pretty big effect here. No one knows what the Fed's going to do. I, so, I, in my opinion, that's all of that has to do with why it's going, you know, back and forth. It's probably, in my opinion, it's probably not going to settle for, for a bit. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it was a wild ride the last couple of days for sure. Yeah. We were down like 2%, I think, uh, yesterday to, to start the trading day. And then we rallied back and actually finished positive. So the S and P down 2% and then raised, uh, to positive, which is something you hardly see. Usually when you see that much momentum to one side, um, you end up staying on that side of, uh, of the market for the day. And then today, again, another, uh, um, you know, half a percent down move and then a huge move towards the end of the day. We almost finished uh, a whole percent up on the day today. Uh, if we go back and look at um, the rest of the markets, volatility for the past month, uh, it is making higher lows and um, or lower lows and uh, higher lows there. Uh, we are at 18.41 on the VIX. Uh, volatility is actually contracting with all the numbers and news that's coming out this week. Uh, S&P 500 is just a percent or so off, off of its all-time high as well, especially after the rally it had today. The 10-year uh, Treasury note index is ripping to the upside with um, traders pricing in more rate hikes to come for this year. And we had Fed uh, Chairman Powell uh, talk today about uh, increasing rates. And um, there's no plan for tightening right now at the moment. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see um, them uh, do quantitative tightening uh, uh, in the first part of the year this year. And then we also have uh, crude oil uh, back to... Uh, near its highs of 81, um, right around 81.50 as it stands right now. So look for gas prices uh, to go up on the higher oil prices. Um, it, it seems that, you know, 
it, we had a, a significant pullback in oil. Gas prices came down a little bit, and uh, it kind of seemed there for a minute that the market was starting to price in maybe uh, maybe a sell-off in the broad market, but then oil started to come back, uh, yields started to go higher, and the market started to drift higher as well. So not as much fear as you would tend to see on the headlines. Right now you see in the headlines a lot of news, uh, a lot of bears out there, especially with all the things that's coming out this week. Uh, but that just doesn't seem to be affecting the market like people are thinking that it would affect the market, which is generally the case when it comes to um, you know people trying to predict the future. Um, we have uh, the S&P, oh, not the S&P, but the, uh, the Spree Index, which is uh, the precious metals. Um, it, it's starting to tear higher the, uh, this week. Uh, gold is around um, 1850, somewhere in that range. Uh, we have uh, Bitcoin has probably been beat up the most. Um, it, it hasn't started to hit new highs uh, since it hit... Um, uh, just under 70k. So I'm, I'm curious to see if we see Bitcoin go higher here, uh, especially with oil and the market going higher. Uh, usually all risk asset assets have been rising together, but Bitcoin's kind of been lagging here uh, since it's uh, October highs. Um, then you also have the uh, uh, marijuana stock index. Uh, it's continuing to, to trade lower uh, slash uh, sideways. Uh, that was a market that if you're looking for, uh, I don't know, maybe a cheap play, something that's cheap versus everything that's expensive. That was something I had thought about, but I'd gotten out of it uh, around November and it's just traded lower. So glad that I stepped out of that. But it is interesting to see um, that there is still some cheap plays in this uh, it, pretty expensive market. Uh, volatility, uh, like we were saying, has been closing. Uh, the VXX and UVXY is pretty much uh, at all-time lows. It's starting to hit this um, this floor here. And uh, SVXY, short volatility, with the volatility, it's been swinging back and forth in the market the last uh, few weeks. It's kind of been very choppy, so it hasn't hit all-time uh high yet for this cycle so it's uh i'm curious to see what volatility does if it continues to to go down as uh, the numbers are reported this week but it's been a pretty eventful market um i think that there've been some really good trading both uh, both ways uh how have you guys been uh trading this market i haven't messed with it i've been um you know doing some just weekly deposits as uh you know every time i get paid i deposit a little bit so just building up some capital, haven't really, you know, bought anything. There's a, like, it's going up and down right now. So kind of looking forward to, you know, stabilize a little bit, you know, been, you know, just looking at some things, see, um, see what I want to get into next. I don't really have many positions that I want to add to right now. So maybe looking for a new, new position. Yeah, I haven't done anything either. Just made a few buys overall. I bought some Square. I bought some Roku. Um, I'll keep buying. I mean, the prices are definitely nice right now. Uh, overall, the the funny thing I did notice is I uh, was playing around in Robinhood, and they offer me a crazy amount of margin. Like oh yeah, of margin. Yeah, they offered me like hundreds of thousands of dollars in margin. 
Like, but, it, but that's how much your portfolio is as well. So I, I saw you post that. They offered you basically double your – basically your portfolio they offered you in margin. That's crazy, though. John, how, uh, what what's Tasty Works? How much yeah, that, above your portfolio? So that's on that seems, that's, that's on normal. average. Yeah, yeah that, that, that seems normal. Yeah, they they usually offer you the same amount of money for margin that you have in your account. So yeah, I mean, you get double. You know, double. Uh, you can be leveraged two x on stuff. Because if it, if it goes bad, they can just you know they just take what's yeah. in your account. So it's really not too much different. Obviously. The, the stocks going down would affect your account value, but it, it won't be too far off. John, what's Tasty? I don't use the margin. I have a Tastyworks account. I don't use the margin. I know um, John does. I, I tend to stay away from the margin. What's the interest rate that they have in Tastyworks? I think Fat Baby had that Robin Hoods was like 2.5. Uh, yeah, it, it differs depending on account size and depending on um... – how you use it so for example if if you have say a 100k account and you only use your 100k and you never because the the way margin works is you don't use any of the margin until you've used all of your cash so once you've used a hundred percent of your cash and you're fully invested and then you start making purchases do you start being charged interest on the margin um it really just depends i mean it can be up to eight percent or higher um just depending on like i said your account size and and how much you're using and what products you're trading uh, i tend not to use um the margin on cash um and uh fat baby if you think um the margin is pretty heavy on stocks uh, the margin on uh, futures is 10 to 15x. Um, <laughs> what is it? No, thank you. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so yeah. But the, it has to be. I mean, it has to be, right? If you're going to trade, you know, the ES futures, you either got to have a massive account or have yeah. uh, be able to trade pretty high margin or you're just not going to be able to fund the contracts. Yeah, and and that's the thing, and the in the whole the whole thing with um, margin is there are a lot of de de degenerates out there that you know use it because it can be very dangerous on your portfolio. Um, one the way I like to look at margin is you know say you have something that is a hundred dollars, and the the thing that's a hundred dollars has very low volatility. If it only swings by like five dollars um, on a on a hundred dollar investment, that's only like five percent uh, move, and and say that that's usually the case for a whole year. What um mar you know what what you would use margin for is like the capital efficiency benefits of it, which would be okay. I'll put up ten dollars with the expected move of only risking only losing five to ten dollars. You know. Five is what it normally does, but I'll put up ten to get that five percent return uh, on the on the ten dollars. I mean, five percent return on the hundred dollars only using ten. So you could get a fifty percent return on the amount of money that you use for this thing that hardly moves, versus putting up the whole hundred and you can go use the rest of that money and diversify in something else that maybe moves similarly to the to the hundred dollar investment. And so what that allows you to do is use your capital more efficiently. The way people screw it up is they put their whole account in margin. Um, and so if they can, if, if they can 
you only use $10 a margin, they'll get 10 of them. And that's how you really jack yourself up. Uh, but, but leverage is usually uh, for capital efficiency more than it is just for, you know, trying to YOLO some, you know, crazy position and, and you know, 10x your return. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is it is scary. And especially, you know, when you think about people that don't do research or they don't look into their investments and they're not due diligent about what they're what they're doing if you give them double the amount of money i mean you can look at wall street bets as i'm sure you guys have have seen some of the crazy stuff on there where people are doubling tripling down um on on leverage therefore while robin hood had some kind of glitch where someone got like 25x leverage because of some glitch and he, he turned it he turned like 10 grand into like 10 million and then lost it all i don't know if you guys have seen those videos or not but yeah no i mean it's cool i was trying to think of just because it's such a i mean it's a crazy amount of money is there a way i can semi-arbitrage it where they only charge 2.5 percent is there something i can find that's relatively um, risk-free for four percent i couldn't i couldn't think of anything everything's got too much risk where i i just don't want to yeah. mess with it. spy uh, yeah but that's not that's not risk-free it's yeah there, but it's there's not, nothing it, it risk very right now yeah, it moves very small though, so you're not going to get a margin call on SPY unless we have a shutdown. I mean, yeah, could, but like even COVID, like COVID would get well, would have gotten. That's what I'm saying. So this, what happened when COVID first started, that would have screwed you up. But in on general, general market conditions and you know general return, I don't think it would. Well, I mean, if you look at some of the issue. biggest, if you look at some of the biggest sell downs in the S and P 500, some of them's been 50. percent So you could wipe yourself in 2008. You would have wiped yourself out on S mm -hmm. on the SPY. So I mean, I but, think, but that's with everything, though. So I mean, well, I mean, there the is lower, bonds. Lower, I mean, there's the, yeah, there's like bonds. yeah, there's there's bonds that you could buy, but there's no bond that is higher than the you know, there's no bond that's going to offer you a higher interest rate than what you're going to pay on the, you'd have to take some kind of risk. Um, yeah. Did you, did you guys see the, I, there was an interesting thread on bonds overall, because bonds have been doing like terribly and even tips, you, you think tips would have been doing right now, well, right now with inflation, tips are down year over year, even though inflation's up 6%. So uh, it, there was an interesting so isn't isn't that mostly because the market had has done so good this year that a lot of people moved besides the people who like have to keep x percent in bonds well these rate hikes have killed bonds you know you have yeah. you have rate hikes and inflation expectations and rates going higher it's 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 but really tips, beat bonds up tips should uh tips should be fine though, yeah, right yeah because they're they're supposed to be an inflation protect a hedge yeah um, but my, but my thought is, is everyone took their money, you know, a lot of people took their money out of bonds because you can get so much more right now in the market. Yeah. The thing about bonds, um, I feel like, cause so at the end of the year, um, you know, thankfully the market conditions and what I was invested in, I was at all time high at the end of the year. So I just flattened my account out and I like, you know, start fresh at the beginning of the year. So one of the thing, uh, things about bonds is that they, they play a specific role in some, st um, 
static portfolios that like say like you know like the classic uh 60 40 like stocks bonds portfolio and there's some other ones like the golden butterfly portfolio the all-weather portfolio there's these portfolios that that bonds have a specific role in that even though the investment of bonds themselves may be bad it might have a very specific um uh you know, it might accomplish something in a static portfolio that people are in that they, it provides bonds do it's a, a hedge. Certain yeah. Well, it has a role in a portfolio, but, but that's what it is. So there's times where the market does good bonds do bad. And you know, it, yeah. it may look like you're taking some of your wins away because you have bonds, but in reality, the year that the S and P is not up eight or 10% or whatever bonds may be up. And now you just, turned you know you've, you've kind of flipped the script a little bit so right. you're never you're never getting all of the return but you're you're keeping yourself you know if you're diversified right and we could go a step farther with that there's more than just bonds and and stock you got the gold commodities. And the commodities and when you start adding all that sort of stuff in you know you can get a completely diversified portfolio where your risk is really really low because yeah. all of all of them can't be bad together because they're contradictory of each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it lowers the volatility quite a bit of your portfolio. I mean, so at the beginning of the year, luckily I missed this rise in rates. So just because, you know, I wanted to end the year on a positive note and I came in, I got lucky in a lot of sense. So now that I'm putting my portfolio back on, uh, I've started buying uh, bonds at this higher interest rate. Uh, so, you know, uh, whatever you hear about bonds, you know, right now I'm a buyer of bonds. I've been buying three or four percent uh, positions in bonds uh, since the beginning of the year, um, you know, on, on any red day that they've had. And right now I'm actually up on my bonds position, but they play a, they play an important role. And a lot of people don't see them very attractive. And, and a lot of people, do, I would say at this point, most people have no bonds in their portfolio or gold or commodities or anything other than stocks um but they i think that they are very important but so the the thread i was looking at was sort of interesting um because what it was saying was uh the government owns so much of them because due to the quantitative easing that the bonds had their worst week ever this past week because of the fears over quantitative tightening um, which is sort of an interesting contradiction in there when you're looking at it. Yeah, because when they t say so, like when they're easing, they're they're basically buying bonds, and and the the more you buy bonds, the lower yields go. And so when they start to tighten, they're going to try to unload their balance sheet. And I think their balance sheet's what ten trillion now at the, at this point, something like that. So so they have a lot of a lot of. Uh, of bonds that they could unload and they could send rates a lot higher. Um, however, the the thing to think about is that the last time the I mean the Federal Reserve tried to raise rates, the market went in free fall in two thousand and eighteen, in the beginning of two thousand and nineteen, and they they kind of threw a fit, and they had to reverse and you know they had to reverse and and start to lower rates again and start their buybacks. So. It, I would say, regardless of what fears are out there, you know, depending on your strategy, I would say 
you know, especially if you're doing one of those um, static portfolios, which a portion of my core holdings are, I'm going to continue to buy bonds. Yeah, and I, I think the one thing to point out, if you're kind of newer to investing yourself, um, most people have a 401k or whatever. Most of those have requirements of, you know, these are your position um, percentage, right? So like pensions for, say, teachers and stuff, they're going, they're going to be a requirement in that, that they, they keep X percent in bonds, X percent in foreign assets, X percent in, in local assets, commodities, et cetera. And that's why um, at some, that's why we have different, um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly the word to call it, but a, a couple of times throughout the year when, you know, these big, these very, very large institutional investors that hold these pensions and that sort of thing have to rebalance that. You could see falls in certain things because say, I think it happened not this year, but the year before when the market shot up like it did the stock positions of certain things were so high that they had to unload a bunch of that and put it back into things like bonds, even though those were winning positions solely for the risk, you know, portfolio and uh, be diversified, the required diversification that they have to have. So there's, there are times during the year and normally you can simply look online and the news reports when those are where companies, you know, are about to rebalance you know, where they're at. And that could, you know, that could hurt stocks in, in some cases. Yeah, for sure. Well, what else do y'all want to talk about? I didn't really plan too much for the um, day. That was a pretty good discussion. We don't talk about bonds very often. I actually, um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, position sizing. You know, we were already talking about margin and, um you know, how much leverage and, and how that can be bad for a portfolio. So do you guys set position sizing limits for your portfolios or what's your, what's your um, strategy for position sizing in a portfolio? So fat baby funds is going to have maybe a better answer than, than I do um, because he's got a lot more money than I have. Um, I mean, on a percent basis. Yeah, so, you know? so that's what I'm saying. So he's got a lot more money. So he's got a lot more to go around. He's got more positions. That's a, but I'm not even sure his answer would be the same as you get from a lot of long-term investors. I don't technically have any limits, but I am paying attention to it more. So we talked about it recently on a show. I unloaded, you know, half of my position in Apple um, when it went up so much, um, even though it was still going up or whatever solely because it had went up so much and it became such a large position in my portfolio. I felt like we were getting way too much risk, you know, there in Apple. So I, I sold half my position in Apple to diversify elsewhere to get those down. So why, why I don't, I don't have any limits. I do kind of pay attention to that. And I, you know, there's certain positions that I want to, you know, keep pretty small. Like I have stitch fix, which is, you know, been killed, but it's a very small position in my portfolio. And that was done on purpose because, you know, it's, it could, it could be a big winner or, you know, it, it may not be a winner at all. Whereas something like Disney or Apple, you know, it's not going to be 10, 30 X, but it's, it'll be a consistent um, thing. So I do pay attention to that, but I don't have any strict, I'm only keeping this at 5% or whatever. Right. Gotcha. That baby. 
Yeah. So for, for me, what, what I sort of do is I, I keep an idea on when I'm buying, but if something starts to go on a run, um, I let it go. So for a while, um, Bitcoin was 90% of my net worth. I've corrected (laughs) that by uh, buying a lot of other things, but I never sold. Um, So I I try to sell for a reason. I try not just to trim because something gets large, but I'm constantly adding funds to my account. So if I'm a little uncomfortable with having so much of my wealth in one thing, I start to put money into other things. Um, but I'm a lot of times I won't sell it. So I've never sold any of my Bitcoin, never sold any of my Spotify or anything. Those are definitely my two largest positions. Um, and I'll keep adding to my Spotify. It's just the Bitcoin when, when something 10 X is it, it gets yeah. pretty big. Well, yeah, I mean, I, as far as like starting position, I, I think like if you are starting a position with, you know, a certain limit or something and it grows to that bigger sum, I don't really I don't really say that, oh, well, you're yet yeah, yeah, you are taking more risk, but you're taking risk with profit. So it's a little I feel like that that's justifiable more than it is like starting with a 90 percent of your net wealth position in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, and um, I would say I, I don't look at it every single day like, OK, this is at this percentage. I need to trim. So, you know, that that Apple case was over. Uh, the last year basically and then you know it just got so high and so high at some point I felt like there's gonna be stuff which we kind of hit now it's kind of going back up but so I didn't want to lose all the profits I made from from that in the last year knowing that it has it rose you know twenty dollars in a month or two per share so I, I don't look at the positions all the time but I am a, more wary of where I'm at. I'm, and like that, maybe um, I add um, cash to my account every single week, every paycheck. I have a, a dollar amount that goes in there. If I have a good sports gambling week, um, a lot of that profit that I make from that. So if I pull money out of my sports gambling account, um, it goes into um, it goes into my brokerage account. It, it, it goes in my bank account for a second, but it's not, I don't pull money out of my um, gambling account and then just keep it in, in savings or whatever. That's I use that profit strictly to put in um, to my investment account. So I have money as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the big thing here is, um, you know, your starting position size is probably more important than what your position grows to, um, especially if you have a winner or something like Bitcoin. Um, Now it is important, you know, to manage your risk as you have profits or losses, um, but I think, you know, your starting position, you definitely don't want to start with 90% of your net worth into, into Bitcoin or any other investment. But if it grows to that point, I think that is a different, um, you know, a different, a different scenario and a different uh, conversation to have around that. Um, but I will, I do think for our listeners, one of the, 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 the big points to take away from this is, Say you have a strategy that wins 99% of the time. There's 1% chance that your strategy is going to lose. But if you use, now this is an extreme example, but it's still, it'll get the point across and it's still important to think about. If you put 100% of your portfolio into this strategy that wins 99% of the time, 
the law of large numbers says that 1% of the time will happen. And when you get that loss, if it compl and you have 100% and say it's, you know, what you put up is what you can win or what you can lose. That's generally not the case in the market, but that 1% will happen. And even if you have a winning strategy, your position sizing alone can take a winning strategy and make it a losing strategy. Um, so even if you have a 99% winning strategy and you use 100% of your value, you can easily blow your account up um, just based on position sizing alone, even with the winning strategy. Yeah, and I think one thing to point out, because we have a variety of different listeners, because um, we do do different things, right? Um, Investing is different than trading. Yeah, position sizing for investing, your position sizing is a lot of it is for diversity purposes. You know, if you got, it goes more than just having, you know, X stock as a percentage, you need to look at sectors of stock as well. So if you're all in the same, same sector, for example, sports gambling, if you have 80% of your money, you know, in different companies but they're all sports gambling chances are if there's a bad sports gambling beat especially right now all of those are going down so it's kind of the same as you have in it in the in the in the one so you you got to diversify like that too but at for trading it up you know it, it's a little bit different because you're making more you know you're buying you're selling so you got to kind of calculate what's the optimal position size based on your um winning rate whereas investing i wouldn't consider a winning rate as much because you're yeah. looking for it to go up over 10 years 15 years yeah it's not sure. you know it's a little it's a little bit bit different i would say um with that two different concepts yeah yeah but still you know position sizing even in investing if you invest in some new company's ipo and you put you know, 50% of your portfolio in it, it can half in a matter of days, or it can double in a matter of days. And it, and it, regardless of the amount of time you're looking to, you know, hold something, uh, you, you never want to, as a starting position, you never want to start with a huge sum of your portfolio to any one allocation. I would say, you know, I, I've done a few uh, um, research um, studies on this, and from the research and from just different math equations that I've used, um, I, I come to the number of 6% uh, of your buying power. And so your buying power will be different based on the margin that you're using or if you're in a cash account. And also um, you can beta weight that. So something that has a lower beta, you can have more of. So something with a very, very low beta like uh, currencies, you could probably do like 12% uh, for a position, uh, but something with a higher beta, maybe three. And for most things, probably around six is where the different studies and, and things that I've found out. So it's not really um, a recommendation. We're not recommend, recommending anything here, but. Uh, that's a number I would say is a good place to start for a lot of people because uh, most people, as I have realized, um, you know, through doing this is most people don't even make a profit in the market. So especially if you're new, you need to start with a very low um, uh, percentage to any investment that that way, you know, see if you can make money first before you start, you know, allocating 20% to a single investment. So just something to keep in mind and, and, um, and, you know, uh, d don't blow yourself up, especially if you're just starting. Yeah. And if you're, 
a really new investor, like you're just now getting your portfolio going or whatever, um, it's going to be, it's either going to be way harder or way easier. depends on how you look at it. Um, even, even for myself, I don't keep a lot of cash like sitting around in, in my account. So, you know, when I start a starting position, it's normally a, it's a, it's normally a pretty small percent of my portfolio because as I said, I'm adding cash each week. Um, as I get paid to that, you know, I'm, I might, um, you know, wait a couple of weeks or so, hope, you know, maybe in, do some investing once a month or, or whatever it is, depending on what I'm looking at, what I'm buying. But I normally don't have a, you know, I'm not a person that has 15 or 20% of money sitting in cash in my account. It's normally invested somewhere. So if I'm starting a new position, I don't have capital. I don't have tons of capital funds. That it's just, I'm going to start a 20% position it's going to be small to begin with what you go yeah. with the the dollar cost averaging because you know i'm a buy you know each week or each month or whatever yeah until and the, i get to a percentage that i like and want to do something else yeah and the the dollar cost averaging definitely helps uh you know you incrementally allocating to um to your position and that can keep your volatility down uh hopefully as things rise Pat, baby, you got any more um, on dollar cost averaging or position sizing? No, I mean, dollar cost averaging is great. Um, choosing the right assets is hard enough. So choosing the right time on top of that is even harder. So DCA definitely makes that easier. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, so to go along with that, um, you know, especially for fat baby john trades a little bit more so it may not be as i'm a dirty little trader it may not be as applicable but you know how do you decide which ones you know to add to now yours you know you're seeing pretty sporadic like okay I, this one's down today i'm gonna add this amount to this or whatever um but do you have any system where it's like you know, all of these, all the positions in your portfolio, you like long-term um, and you dollar cost average in, but no on a weekly basis or wherever you're, whatever you're doing, or how do you decide which ones of those to add to and, and, you know, when, when you want to add to them, I guess. Yeah. So for me, like you said, like you said before, all the stocks that you like, you know, they're at good price right now. Like if you like square, it's at, you know, is it going to be at a better price? I don't know. I, I like Square a, a lot. It's the PE ratio is a little high, but you know, it's probably a good price right now. And that's that's one of the examples. Are y'all talking Square is like Squarespace or Square is in like the payment company? The payment company. What's their ticker? SQ. Thank you. It's and a gross uh, stock. You'll hate it. <laughs> it's a what? The gross stock. You will. Really, uh, yeah, I don't trade stocks, but I like it. Has probably like, like a hundred, it, it probably has like 120 p or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but so I, I, I do a number of different things. So there's certain stocks, for instance, Amazon. I buy $200 worth of Amazon every two weeks, it's just automatically set up in Robinhood. So that's a pure DCA. Um, and then there's other examples where if I see a stock falling, um, I'll buy it. I'd, I'd probably buy Spotify once a month. So it's really, uh, it's a mix of DCA and whatever I sort of feel like, but I'm never throwing $10,000 into a position at once. Um, for the most part, I do $1,000 buys, which is 
you know, less than 1% of my total portfolio at, at a time. Um, so I would say a that's a, that's a fun. really good, that that's really good. I mean, that's a so, solid allocation. So, so what's your thoughts on, you hear a lot on, you know, especially, you know, especially right now with, you know, kind of the growth stocks took a hit the last month of the year. Um, you, you hear the comment a lot, you know, don't, don't add to loot, don't like take profits, to add to losers or don't add to losers, you know, start a new position on winners or, or whatever. What's your thoughts there for someone who, you know, does add to, you know, if the stock is down a, a good amount one day, you, you are going to add to it. Obviously your outlook is 20 years from now, but or whatever. So, I mean, I, what I would say is don't let price action drive your decision-making in either way. So don't let a stock falling mean you're going to put your whole portfolio into it, but don't let a stock falling also mean that you're going to sell it. So the market moves in funny ways. So just be ready for that and make your decisions based on, upon the company itself and then go from there, but also be willing to accept. Sometimes the market is smarter than you and you may think it's falling for no reason, but there could be a very good reason. So that's when you get into allocation sizes, like John was talking about. I mean, you you could think you're the smartest person in the world and you're right 99% of that time, but that 1% will bite you in the ass. And I, I think one good point, um, yeah, one good point with that is to do do your analysis for the the like, legitimate time frame you plan to stay you know stay in it what like determine what your actual outlook is which may be hard you, i mean you may and say, set your I, strategy up ahead of yeah, time too and, may, and what you're going to do before it happens because if you if you get into a position and then you start taking a little bit of heat you should already have a plan ahead of time and and not act on emotions while it's happening and, and you know, set something up ahead of time so you're not you know just freaking out when your emotions are rampant well, more of what I'm saying is, you know, if you plan to, you know, you got something and you're looking at, again, I'm going to use sports gambling because that's that's one that's, I think, really easy right now to use. A lot of people will understand what I'm, I'm saying. Um, sports gambling is not legal in half the states. So the outlook for, for that, you know, it's way in the future, like 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is. Now, that there's going to be a lot more states add pretty fast here here coming but the outlook's gonna be a lot longer maybe than someone who's just maybe you're investing in apple and you're you know you're you don't plan on holding it 30 years maybe you you can hold it five and and make a profit or, or whatever but have an idea of how long you actually plan to hold it because you know when these when these reports come out um financial reports or news stories or whatever you know don't take you know if you plan on you've done your calculations and you're like, okay, 10 years from now, you know, your numbers, you think the industry is going to be, you know, X spot. Well, don't let a report that really only has something to do with two years from now, you know, make you sell off your whole, you know, your whole position because that out. So both people can be right. You know, a stock can be terrible for an outlook of one year, but be good for an outlook of 10 years. You got to kind of, do your analysis based on, on your, like John said, your strategy, but your outlook is as well, you know? Yeah, for sure. And did you, um, 
Did you guys uh, get a chance to? Yeah, uh... but we're not talking about that play. <laughs> I forgot we're blacklisted from sport talking I, about sports. Yeah, I shouldn't have even. I shouldn't even use that example. We will talk about it next week. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. I think it's going to take up a big portion of the show though because I do have thoughts on it. I will. I'll, I'll give you a preface, John. I think he's right on some things, but off base on others. But not I, totally I, off base. Off base on his. Off base on that's the way he looks at it. So yeah, we we won't mention anything. We you know who we're talking about or whatever. But he's a so if you look at even his trading style, he trades solely by selling premium, right? Yeah. There's other strategies that aren't selling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Premium sell premium selling strategies. So that's well, not well. You already know. You already know that I disagree on some level to what he said, but you know I'm not in the space as much as uh, I would say either of you I, guys are. So I was. I, I'm. I'm curious to have yeah. that conversation. So, so my thoughts. Um, and again, we're not going into. My thought is he's comparing it a little too much. Um, yeah. to trading whereas it's it's kind of very different whereas you know trading options or whatever um it's not one it's not one person making every single deal you know right. like in options you're making it with the individual I, if i buy a call it's gonna be, it could be someone different completely different than you're making it whereas if you bet yeah. on sports they're making every single deal so you know one side wins one side loses if they lose a bunch of those you know yeah, they're going to be down. So they, it, it makes sense that they charge you more premium or a wider, you know, market because they're taking a lot more risk than you know the yeah. stock market. It's not now, a not I a mean, I know, person, but I, again, yeah. we'll, we'll save it for next week. I think it's going to take a pretty. It'll take yeah. up most of the show. It it, it probably will. Did, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to talk about that. So. Uh, yeah, I think I think it'll be good. The, the only thing I'll say is, you know, uh, one question. I just want one question. I'm dying here. <laughs> so, I'll hit you if I don't like this question. <laughs> okay. Do you think that instead of having one place um, that yes. does take all the business, do you think that eventually it will be more of like a market? It already is a market. So people who are professional no, I mean, um, as far as the other person that's taking the other side, like, do you think it'll come down to where it's not anybody come down to like, where I can bet? It's not going to, no, it's never going to be where you can make me a line and I can bet with you. Do you think it'll ever be like predicted? No. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. So I Cause predict it because predict it is kind of like the stock market in a way of like whoever accepts my offer is the other, you know what I mean? Yeah, Instead so of it just so being a casino. Yeah, so this would be the easier way to say that is that would be like me being. You think there'll be an exchange, basically? Yeah, that, that would make it where, yeah, basically, like what you're saying is basically I can set you a line and then we can make an agreement basically on it, right? Right, like a, like like a free market. Offer, yeah, I'm making you an offer. You're setting the, that. No, it's not going to be like that because there's, I don't know. There, Do you there's think a lot that, of that, that would be better? That would be better, wouldn't it? If the free market like bid up the lines and down the lines without they, having someone control already, it. Yeah, so the market already does that. There is someone controlling it, but it 
but they're paying moved. a vig right they're paying that the, yes, the premium for that depend right? on yeah depend on what side you're on but this is where this yeah. is where it's a little different because the the standard spread line does have a 10 percent yeah you know it's minus 110 to it's, it's bet 110 to make 100 everything isn't like that so if a bunch of people's betting on one side they're gonna it gets moved yeah 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 so that can sure. become plus so last night when the game started on at one point on FanDuel before the national championship started right last night you could have bet Alabama plus three at plus 100 which is even money so no there is no premium in it now what the guy in the video was saying um who again we'll get into it he may be saying that yes, it's plus one hundred, but realistically, it maybe should be plus one hundred five. So you would get one point zero five rather than the one hundred. That's that's behind the math. the 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 difference to me is you can already shop around. You know, um, if you're going to be a serious gambler, you don't just put money in Fanduel and just use Fanduel. You can if you're going to bet, and so if you're going to bet like a. This is where I differ in a, in a So it's going to be kind of like a free market yeah, so in that I, sense. It's, it's already – it's not a free market because I can't set you – I can't legally set you a line, you bet on it, and we have some Ooh. sort of formal agreement kind of right. like calls or puts. It's not going to be like that. Right. But you can – it's like it's, – it's more of like department stores. Like if you're going to buy a TV, you can go to Walmart, Best Buy, wherever, and get a different price. You can do that currently. There's – there's yeah. everyone thinks of FanDuel, DraftKings, or whatever as because those are the ones in the news. There's tons of sports gambling sites now. Certain states there's only a there's only been allowed a, a few, like New York only allowed four, which that's a, a, a whole different topic. But um, you could already like if I wanted to bet right now, there's probably ten or twelve different places I can look at, and they're individually going to set the line. So in a lot of cases, maybe they're the same because it's it's computer rated math. So they're coming to the map. Right. But, you know, you, I may look on FanDuel and the line could be minus three. I could go to Barstool and maybe it's minus two. So that would mean if you want to bet the favorite, you would bet it in Barstool because you're getting a better number. Same Is there way. any way you could do spread betting, like uh, buy buy one team on one and sell it on the other to collect the difference? Sell? I mean, you know, bet the, bet the other side? Yeah, you can hedge your bets. Well, I mean, as far as like, like so, kind of like what Fat Baby was talking about, like yeah, yeah. locking no, the I, difference of interest. If no, I, there's get what, I get what you're saying. Arbitrage. Yeah, I get what you're saying, and yes, you are allowed to do that. The difference is it's all computer rated math, so it's not going to be a, a huge difference, right? You're going to so okay. You got split up into two different ways. So you got split up into what the actual spread is. So is it minus three? Is it minus two? Is right. it minus four? And then you have the odds, which is where they were talking about their the payout and stuff. The, pre, the premium, yeah, it's the payout. You know, so the you could you could um, hedge more, you know, with the odds in the way you're talking about. So, like, say for example, just the money line of a team last night for um, Georgia, it was minus one thirty-five for Georgia to win on FanDuel, which means you would have to bet one hundred and thirty-five dollars to win a hundred. Now. You, you're thinking you're paying a $35 premium for Georgia to win, but it, it's not really based on that. It's based on the spread. The spread is minus three. So that, that was the book saying that Georgia was theoretically three points better 
than Alabama. So if so you, you wanna, have a higher so if, likelihood. Yeah, so if you want to bet on them just to win, you should have to pay more because your probability just is you know, higher. Just, just went up because otherwise, if you bet the spread and Georgia won by two, you would lose. So right. if you want to bet the money line, it makes sense that it is higher. Now, and it's kind of like options in that way. Yes. Right. Now, for an example, for the example, say it's minus 135 there, and I go to, and I don't know what it was, so I, these aren't exact numbers. Say I go to DraftKings, and it's minus 120. Yeah, technically, if you wanted to, you could, you know, somehow probably hedge and make the difference in the, the premium in some way. Hmm. Because that, that means if it was, um, well, I let me think about that. You definitely can do it. It'd be hard math um, because Alabama's odds would actually be worse in that case. So the, you would have to bet to do it. You have to bet the opposite side, but that would actually be worse, kind of. Yeah, it's definitely but a space that I'm very then, uh, interested. Another in. way you can do, but it's you would get in trouble with it because sports are you know a a random ball, somebody fumbling or the ball getting tipped up in the air, random stuff that happens. You know, it's like there's only two sides, one, one side wins, right? Whereas in, in trading, a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of stuff could happen. You know, it could go up $5, it could go up $20, it could go up 50 cents. There's so much more that can, you know, happen. And, and like options, your money is effective as it moves, right? So like, as it moves, the amount that you invested, bought the option for, it's currently yeah. being effective. Whereas if I make a bet, on um, Alabama at minus 135, and then their odds go to minus 120. Technically, I could have got them at a better number, but I didn't technically lose any money by betting that, right? Whereas in options, right, you can right. actually like lose money. Yeah, it's not like you, – you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, I yeah, it's definitely the, interesting. We'll have to break down that video yeah. and, and break down, you know, you guys' thoughts more on it, but – but you know, the one it, thing you could get in trouble with the the hedging thing you were talking about, just searching down, searching for lines, is they're they're never going to be way off. So if someone calculates, say last night, if someone would have had calculated that Georgia was a seven point favorite, and then they realized that all the other books, you know, have minus three, they're going to shoot their number down, right? Like. They're, they're going to right. They're going to adjust it. You would have to be quick. Way, that puts way more risk. Like if you're right, then you're making you're giving yourself you know way more room. But you, you know, um, everyone they're going to be mostly lined up. They're only going to be you know a half a point, a point, two points different. So if you were doing what you were saying, you would basically need to bet both sides of the coin and it hit in the middle, which is is not a winning strategy. You know, if right. someone has minus four and the other one has minus two. Technically, you could bet both sides and win in the middle, but you would have to hit that minus three dead in the middle right there. So it's not a – I don't think that's a winning strategy. But I do think hedging, you know, is a, you know, is a winning strategy. The, the one way you could do it is, say, for like NFL, if you put in your bets on Monday for the coming weekend, on, you know, because you're, you want to get in on early lines, you like the line that it was – and and you're in on it but say everyone's betting the other side and it's moving the other way there may be a way that you can go and bet the opposite of that um you basically in a profit basically to hedge yourself you know against it now 
you would have to balance out the fact that, you know, there's any odd loss. So, like, it'd be very hard to do with, you know, if they're both minus 110, because then you would just be, you'd be paying $20 to basically hedge, and you may not be able to hit that percentage. So, gotcha. it, it'd be a case-by-case basis, but you could definitely hedge. The app I use to track my bets, I can actually, it has a calculator in there, and I can actually put in, um, it'll calculate how much you should bet for hedges, right? So I can go in there and say, I'm going to do this bet. It has these odds. Um, how much do I need to hedge where I make, you this, know, and they'll, right. they'll calculate how much you would have to hedge on this other bet to make X percent of, of money. So I there's plenty you. of tools where you can calculate that. I know that was a little around in a circle, but that's what it is. I do know I'm going to quit betting on college basketball. I freaking stink <laughs> at college basketball. It's crazy. Really good at football. Crazy. <laughs> college basketball. Good at NBA. College basketball is just, I don't know. The, the Sharps aren't winning in college basketball right now. <laughs> but, um, that's all I have for tonight. Um, we've already went an hour, um, so be sure to go follow us on Twitter at Swinging It. Um, you can follow Fat Baby Funds at Fat Baby Funds and check out his blog. And if you haven't yet, go listen to our last episode with the Stock Parrot. It was a it was a good episode. A lot of informational stuff on a variety of topics. And um, we'll see you guys next week. Keep swinging it.